So I really only have one hard and fast rule on this show. Because we sort of just do whatever we want around here. Some days it's very sports heavy. Some days it just gets uh, a little bit more ridiculous and we cut up more than other days. But for the most part, the one thing I try to save you from is me talking specifically about my very own personal fantasy football teams. Right? Because that's the, I always say that is the number one rule about fantasy football is that nobody wants to hear and nobody cares about your fantasy football team, right? Like, that is the worst experience ever. A lot of you go through this every single week, where Monday morning or Tuesday, like today, you roll into work, and you and some of your work friends are talking over each other, trying to explain to each other the different scenarios that are playing out in your respective fantasy football leagues. Both of you are trying to talk about who you have on bye weeks. Everybody's trying to compare numbers. You need this person to get this person, but not that person to get that person. It's a headache. And it's the worst. Like, do not be the person that tries to cram your fantasy football team down somebody else's throat. The only exception to that rule is if you are in a league with somebody. But if you are talking cross-league promotional conversation here, you just need to cut it out because it's the worst. So we do not do much of that. I do not talk about my own fantasy football teams much on this show very often. However, I would like to give myself a round of applause today. It took me through week six Week six is what we just wrapped up yesterday on Monday Night Football for the NFL. Six weeks. I just got my first win in one of my leagues. It took six weeks. I finally got my first win last night. The burden has been lifted off of my shoulder. It's the worst because um, it's like a league I'm in with my girlfriend, and she's crushing it this year, and I have been losing week after week after week. And I'm not going to get into the minutia of it all, but guys, let me just tell you that um, – for somebody, you know, I don't know if they, what they necessarily pay me to do around here. Sometimes I'm not exactly sure about that. <laughs> but one of the things is to be like remotely knowledgeable, at least, and to be able to be conversational about sports. I am by no means an expert in any regards, which I don't have to explain to you if you've listened to this show for any amount of time. Uh, I am by no means an expert, but it is part of the job description to at least be able to fake and act like you know what you're talking about sometimes? Well, here is me revealing to you that mm, sometimes that's not really the case because, like I said, uh, in one of the leagues I am in this year, I just finally picked up my first win yesterday, which was great. I also want to do this real quick. I want to shout out somebody who has been uh, a very, honestly, like a very pivotal person in my life, somebody who's been very important in my life, and it is... A lot of you know him, especially here in the Newburn area, Matt Reed, who has been a middle school football coach forever. Not forever, coach. I'm not taking a dig at your age here. Uh, <laughs> but Matt Reed was a guy who coached me when I was coming up through school, played football, played basketball, played soccer, ran track under him. Um, and then there was a point in my life where he was actually my boss for like four or five, maybe even six years. I can't remember exactly what it was. I've known Mr. Reed, as I still call him. I have known Mr. Reed for an extremely long time, even lived down the street from him at one point in my life. I want to take this opportunity to take this man who I have a lot of respect for and uh, who has certainly played a role in molding me into the person that I am today. I would like to take this opportunity to politely take his face 
and rub it in the dirt because I did stomp him out of the building last night in fantasy football. Poor Mr. Reed, who I am in a league with, uh, with a lot of great coaches and guys here in Eastern North Carolina. If you watched this late game last night between the Dallas Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals, and we'll get to the Dallas Cowboys in a second, don't worry. Myself and Mr. Reed both had a lot of players going, and the writing was on the wall that I was going to lose until my boy, Kenyon Drake, busted off a 70-yard touchdown run near the end of the game and uh, solidified a victory for me. So I apologize to Mr. Reed, who's only got, like, I think I was only his second, maybe even his first loss of the season. He's been crushing me. Uh, but I do love, that's the best part about fantasy football, right, is to really stick it to your loved ones. It's the most. It's such a sadistic, cruel sport. It makes you turn on the people that you care about and love the most. So uh, I apologize to Mr. Reed. Sorry, not sorry for what I'm hoping was a miserable night. <laughs> miserable night for you last night. It's okay. He's a uh, he's a Washington football team fan, so he was able, I'm sure, to enjoy watching the Dallas Cowboys and whatever that lackluster performance that they wanted to pass off as an NFL game last night, whatever that may have been. So that's going to be it on the fantasy football talk. Sorry, I just had to get it off my chest that I finally have won a game this year. Uh, That being said, coming up later in the show, I'm going to give you some fantasy football advice, right? There's a good tease for you. Let's get fantasy football advice from the guy who has one win so far this season. But a lot of you have waiver wires that are going to be processing tonight. We're heading into week seven, and there are five teams on by this week in the NFL. Five teams on by over the next two weeks. This is the middle part of the season where your Sundays feel a little barren, especially if you watch on the Red Zone channel because... We're missing you know, almost a quarter of the NFL this week. No, that's bad math. What is? Yeah, it's almost a quarter. More like a fifth. A fifth of the NFL. A sixth of the NFL. I never said Mr. Reed was a good math teacher. <laughs> but we have five teams coming up on the NFL uh, week this week that are going to be on a bye. The Colts, the Dolphins, the Vikings, the Ravens, and the Titans. So a lot of fantasy-relevant players that are going to be missing for you this week, and we'll try to see if we can't uh, scrounge up some replacements that you can maybe hunt out there on your waiver wires at some point today. That being said, welcome into the Sam Avila Show. Uh, today's show, by the way, oh, let me do this real quick, get the business out of the way. Today's show being brought to you by Bowden and Carr. Bowden and Carr Furniture has been serving Eastern North Carolina for over 50 years. It is your destination for lazy boy furniture, and they have the absolute largest comfort studio in the area. Not only do they have great furniture, but they're just really cool people to deal with. Like, I, I have had furniture shopping experiences where you walk in the door and it's like a car salesman. Not like the good ones at Toyota of Newburn, but the ones at like anybody anywhere else. Unless any other car dealerships want to advertise with us, then you know your salesmen are great too. <laughs> but no, really at Toyota of Newburn they are. But at Bowden and Car, um, they are awesome. They're just the ultimate like, yeah, come in. Just the furniture is going to sell itself. Just walk around and sit down. They have a ginormous selection right here in Eastern North Carolina. As I have an ad playing in the background on my computer. Let's turn that off. That's an ad for The Mandalorian. I'll promote that for free as well. Uh, streaming October 30th on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> but Bowden and Car Furniture, uh, in all seriousness, they feature all sorts of valued brands like Lazy Boy, McKinley, Ultra Comfort, Capel Rugs, Hammery, and so much more. It's quality, comfortable, f- comfortable furniture Excuse me, that you'll enjoy for years to come. They're located at 211 Highway 70 West in Havelock. You can find them online at BowdenandCarFurniture.com. They've got current sales up there all the time. 
And I know what you might be thinking. Well, Sam, it's in Havelock. Well, that's fine. Like I said, you can go online. Havelock's just a short skip and a jog down the road from where we are right here in New Bern anyways. But no matter where you are, Bowden & Carr will deliver. Okay, So don't let the distance hold you back from shopping for some great furniture. Head on down to Bowden & Carr Furniture. They'll make sure you find that comfortable piece of furniture at a comfortable price. So the football last night, huh? Um, first thing I want to get out of the way, because I saw a lot of this trending on Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff last night. Everybody really loved the double feature NFL game last night. And don't get me wrong, uh, I did as well. If you weren't paying attention, there was an NFL game at 5 o'clock. So a lot of you, when you got home yesterday at 5 o'clock, you had a game you could look forward to between the Bills and the Chiefs. All right, Buffalo Bills. Kansas City Chiefs, 5 o'clock. I was followed by the normal Monday night game, um, which was what Cowboys-Cardinals last night, the 8-15 ESPN game. And it was really cool, but I saw a lot of people doing this where they were saying, hey, you know what, this needs to be the new normal, right? Because isn't that the catchphrase that everybody loves to use in 2020, the new normal? People were calling for the new normal in the NFL to be the double feature Monday night game. They want people to, or they want the NFL, not people, they want the NFL to scratch the Thursday night game, which has only been around for like four or five years at this point, it seems like. They wanted them to get rid, do away with the Thursday night football game and have us each and every single week do the double feature Monday night football game. And I am here to put my foot down and to say, no, we cannot do that at all. I like my football spread out personally, but last night was wonderful. It was a novelty, though. Novelty is really cool. Novelty is really cool for like a second or two. Like, think about it like this. I was trying to come up with a comparison, and think about if you, like, go on vacation somewhere, and you're browsing through some gift shop, and you see some funny, like, kitschy sort of t-shirt, and you're like, oh, that's really funny. It's got some stupid expression on it, and you're like, haha, this is funny. This will be a great memory of this place that I'll have. I'm going to wear this shirt all the time. You go home. You wear the shirt once or twice, and you're quickly starting to realize that this funny t-shirt with this funny expression on it like isn't that funny and you're a 40 something year old man and you probably shouldn't be wearing these kind of things in public like you need to dress your age a little bit and so this t-shirt you know goes in the back of your closet and then every now and again when you've got a busy day full of yard work you go back in and you bust it out that's what monday night football is that's what the double feature monday night football game is yesterday was very special because we all made sure well some of us some of you don't care at all and that's fine uh a lot of nfl fans made sure that they were home on their couch at five o'clock and you enjoyed six and a half to seven hours straight of blissful monday night escapism where you're mad that the week has started you're mad that you've got four more work days in front of you and you decided to forget about it all for a few hours watching some football That was special. Now imagine doing that 16 times a year. 16 times a year, your entire Monday evening is completely eaten up. Now, I am one of these people who I try my darndest to be productive from the start of the week. Sometimes it's a little harder than usual if you're sort of shaking off the cobwebs from the weekend. But like one of my big things is... I got to go home on on a Monday night. I got to make sure, you know, I've got everything still ready to go for the week. I try to get like a good workout in, try to make a healthy dinner to clear out the cheeseburger I ate over the weekend. 
You can't do all that. Having <laughs> If it started at 7 o'clock, like, okay, well, the first game of the season, the first week, week one, every single year, ESPN always does have a Monday night feature. But the second one is always a West Coast game, and it'll start at, like, 10.15. So most of us say, yes, I'll watch the first couple of minutes of this, and then you look down and it's, oh, it's 11 o'clock on a Monday night. I should probably get my rear end in bed. There was no wiggle room last night. You were either here for the whole entire afternoon and you were exhausted and just completely worn out and dragged down by the football or you were you were thirsty for the rest of it but everybody who was saying I want to have the double feature Monday night football game every single week no you think you do you think you do but what you're going to very quickly realize is you cannot afford you cannot afford to binge football for two straight days in a row because that's what it turns into And I'm really just talking to the degenerates like me who are the people who wake up on a Sunday morning and from sunup to sundown, your entire Sunday during the football season is consumed with NFL football. You're there for the 1 o'clock, the 4 o'clock, the 8 o'clock game. You were working on fantasy football lineups and DraftKings lineups and looking at bets all morning, watching Sunday NFL countdown, cooking a nice breakfast with the family, and you spend the whole entire day doing football. It is absolutely insane to think that you want to do that every single week and then get up and go to work the next day on a Monday, which I don't have to explain to you how bad those are, right? Garfield the cat always told us, I hate Mondays. But to do that and then turn around and go straight home and have another six and a half hours of football is too much. It's not good for us. My mom always told me growing up. (laughs) And God bless her because she called this. She always told me, she said, Sam, please don't grow up to be one of those people that just sits around and watches all the football. One of the reasons, not that she knocks that thing, but she always told me, like, you know, whatever girl you meet one day is going to be sick of that. They're not going to like that. Well, yeah, my mom was a little bit right. There's a lot of women out there who are probably very anti their husbands or their boyfriends or whatever sitting around and watching football all day. I just kept searching until I found one that wanted to do it with me. And then so I ended up lucking out. So, so, so it didn't really work out. But guys, I'm telling you, as, as the football viewing community, as the people who are obsessed with the beauty of, that is the National Football League, it is unhealthy for us to have what virtually amounts to, what, 12, 18 hours of football over a two-day span. We got to spread it up. We got to break it up, spread it all out. I'm not here for a continual double feature of Monday night football game. 5 o'clock is too early. 5 o'clock is too early. I always was a little bit envious of people on the West Coast when I always thought about NFL Sundays, where if you're on the West Coast, you can wake up on an NFL Sunday, and there will be football on your screen at 10 a.m. The 1 o'clock games will be kicking off at 10 o'clock in the morning if you live in California. And that means the night game will be at 5 o'clock. And that means on Monday, your 8.15 start will be at, what, 5.15, three-hour time difference, right? I can't do that every single week. I got other things in my life. Yesterday made me realize that as much as I love football, there is still it, – it is football is king when it comes to other sports. But if we have double-feature NFL football games every single week, we are all going to lose a real part of ourselves, and we're going to turn into football zombies. There's a select few of you out there that are all for that, but much more of you, uh, you are you are realizing now, as yesterday, you were cheering, you were screaming, yeah, football at 5 o'clock, this is great, it's going to be the best Monday night ever. 
Then do it again next week. Then do it again next week. Then do it again next week. There is a thing. I found out yesterday there is a thing as too much football. We need to have some wiggle room to get some other things done in our lives. But the Monday night football games were great. So when we come back, we're going to delve into this Dallas Cowboys situation a little bit. I don't think there's any other way to explain it. You've probably heard this stat at some point today. So specifically, I'm focusing on the NFC East here, which appropriately can be more coined as the NFC least, right? After the Dallas Cowboys lost yesterday, and the Dallas Cowboys are now still sitting atop the NFC East. Yes, the Dallas Cowboys, believe it or not, win or lose in last night's football game, We're going to hang on to the number one spot, the top spot in the NFC East. Your two and four Dallas Cowboys with a three hundred and thirty or excuse me, a thirty-three point three percent winning percentage. Your Dallas Cowboys, not mine, are in not just first place, sole possession of first place in the NFC East. Philadelphia's one four and one, New York and Washington. I don't have to tell you about what's going on with those two teams this year. The NFC least We talk about it every single year. It's the same situation. It's always kind of an idea that you can win this division with six wins on the season. It's amazing that we have the same conversation every single year. But take this into account. The Pittsburgh Steelers this season are 5-0. Okay, one team, Pittsburgh Steelers, 5-0. The Baltimore Ravens are 5-1. The Tennessee Titans are 5-0. The Kansas City Chiefs are 5-1. and one. The Chicago Bears, I don't know how that one happened. The Chicago Bears are 5-1. and one. The Seattle Seahawks, 5-0. and oh. I just listed to you six teams that have five wins and at most one loss. The NFC East, consisting of four different teams, is a combined 5-18-1. and one. Yes, 5-18-1. In fact, you can even extrapolate this out even further. If you look at every single other division in the NFL, the NFC West has a combined 16 wins. The AFC North has a combined 15 wins. The NFC North, a combined 12 wins. The AFC South, West, and NFC South all have 11 wins apiece. The AFC East has 10 wins combined. The AFC East, that's the team that has the Jets and the Dolphins. Even the Dolphins are a little bit better this year. 10 wins. The NFC East, still just five wins. Five less total wins than even the, what, there's eight divisions, the seventh worst division in football. Wow. This, and what's great is the NFC East is so bad, and still every single week it is the division that it gives us the most talking points because everybody likes to talk about the Dallas Cowboys um, and then the Philadelphia Eagles to a lesser extent because people love ripping all over my boy Carson Wentz. Uh, understandably so, but you get my drift. But um, the big news last night was not that anybody expected a whole heck of a lot out of the Cowboys. It was more like a question mark, and we had our radars up trying to figure out you know what's this team going to look like with Andy Dalton. I've got some crow to eat myself this morning or this afternoon rather about Andy Dalton. The final score 38 to 10. The Arizona Cardinals just absolutely manhandle the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night football last night. So we'll certainly get into that um at some point this afternoon. I can't promise you that it's going to be the next segment. But I can tell you this, Dallas Cowboys fans. If you were sitting there watching this game last night with your head in your hands, I am here to let you know that today I have the solution. I have the fix 
for your Dallas Cowboys. One player. There was one player that billionaire Jerry Jones can shine the bat signal for over AT&T Stadium, and it can make your season even better. In fact, it could even fix your Dak Prescott problems going forward. If you're somebody who doesn't want to pay Dak Prescott, especially now that he's broken his ankle, well, then I may have the perfect candidate and the perfect solution for you. Not only a player who I think can come in and perhaps be the savior that Dallas Cowboys fans need, if you've been a long-time listener to this show, you already know who exactly I'm talking about when I'm talking about the savior who is out there at the quarterback position that nobody ever thinks about. Not only can this guy come in and make this team Super Bowl relevant again very quickly, I believe, he can come at a cheap price, and it also comes with the added risk of the Dallas Cowboys becoming, at the same time, as potentially great, potentially a gigantic laughing stock as well. I always love the double-sided coin there. So we'll get to that at some point this afternoon. Quick break, more of the Sam Avila Show on the other side. Hey, welcome back into the Sam Avila Show. I'm kind of like kicking the can down the road on this Dallas Cowboys thing because I do want to talk about them uh, a little bit more today, but I got one or two other things I want to get to before we do that. So maybe push the Cowboys conversation back to uh, the 5 o'clock hour or so. But I wanted to mention this. I don't know if any of you noticed last night during the Fox broadcast. Fox had the early game, Chiefs versus uh, Bills. I don't know, do, we, do we want to talk about that game at all? I mean, the Chiefs just didn't even have to do anything last night. I was talking to my girlfriend. She and I were watching the game as we watched Clyde Edwards-Alaire roll off like 160 yards, 160-plus yards in that game last night. I think the Chiefs on the season, if I remember the stat correctly off the top of my head, were averaging 121 rushing yards per game. And they had already eclipsed that number like three minutes in to that performance, or three minutes into the third quarter last night, just doing whatever they want with the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't, I keep trying to avoid doing the thing that we did with the Golden State Warriors for a couple of years there in the NBA. Uh, I used to get on Mark Panicelli all the time. I used to tease him because he always would use the word, it's a foregone conclusion, right? It's a foregone conclusion that at the end of the year, we're going to be talking about the Golden State Warriors as champions. The Chiefs kind of feel like that a little bit. Football's obviously a little bit different than basketball, where it's not quite so easy to predict. And, you know, one game sample size is always going to produce some more random results occasionally. But watching the Chiefs last night, I was honestly the most scared I have ever been watching the Kansas City Chiefs because it was pouring down rain. Buffalo is supposed to have a pretty good defense. The statistics this year haven't necessarily pointed to that, but they're a defense that's supposed to be one of the more stout defenses in the league. And Patrick Mahomes didn't even have to try. Like it's it's it should scare you when you look out there and it's like Tyreek Hill only had to come up with 20 yards. They beat you with I think the leading receiver was DeMarcus Robinson last night for the Kansas City Chiefs and they just handed the ball off to a rookie running back who Whatever you had, it was it was well over 160 yards. It may have been closer to 200 by the game's end. I kind of quit keeping track of it. It wasn't like this guy had finished the day with 160, 170 yards, and it all came on one or two plays. It was the most consistent and steady 
diet of six, seven, eight, nine yard rushes time and time again. Maybe I'll dig and try to find the stat. Normally, you look and you see what a player's long run of the day was. Like, what was the longest carry that they had? I would like to know what Clyde Edwards Alaire's shortest run of the day was because if you told me he didn't have a run that went for less than six yards, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. And Le'Veon Bell tweeted out last night during that game. Le'Veon Bell, who obviously is making his way to the Kansas City Chiefs, I think they're expecting to have him ready to go next week. And then in a beautiful, dramatic irony of a situation, two weeks from now, Le'Veon Bell with the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be taking on, oh, who else but <laughs> but the New York Jets, who he just uh, forced his way out of. God bless that man for getting out. But now that you add him to an incredible rookie who looked like he was playing, Clyde Edwards-Alaire last night was playing as a guy, looked like a guy who is upset that Le'Veon Bell is coming to town and upset that perhaps he's going to have to split the workload a little bit. They talked about it some during the broadcast, and uh, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, sort of gave voice to the idea that he has been reassuring Clyde Edwards-Alaire that his role is not going to disintegrate, it's not going to disappear, which is also terrifying. When I was talking about the Le'Veon Bell with someone over the weekend – him going to Kansas City, they said to me, you know, well, he's kind of old. I don't know if he has much left. And I, I was like, that's fine. Like, they don't need him to have very much. What they need from Le'Veon Bell is the Kansas City Chiefs. What All they need is for him to give it 150% for like eight or nine touches a game. That's it. He just needs to be a guy who can come in and spell you and maybe give you one of those game-breaking plays. He's going to be. They brought in LaShawn McCoy last year. For that exact same reason. Uh, but LaShawn McCoy obviously was at a very different point in his career last season. It's now with the Bucks. You're still seeing some of that. He was at a different point than Le'Veon Bell is now. Le'Veon Bell has basically been saved as an athlete for the last three seasons. Essentially sat out two years and hasn't gotten much work with the Jets so far this year. The guy's as fresh as anybody in the league, it would seem. I don't know how old he is. I can't imagine he's honestly much older than I am. I can't imagine. I'm 20, what am I, 27 now. I don't think he's 28, 29 years old. He's probably about my age. He's got plenty of tread left on the tire. So long story short here is the Chiefs last night. Doing it calmly, doing it methodically, doing it steadily, it's even more terrifying because it's like you can look at that team, and I'm I'm a fan of the Chiefs. I think most of us are at a point right now with the Chiefs where we're not sick of them yet, and they're kind of a fun team. Patrick Mahomes seems really likable. Um, guys like Travis Kelsey are really likable. Andy Reid's obviously Super likable. We're not we're not rooting against them yet. Give it two or three years. Let these guys continue to run through the NFL the way that they're doing, and people will sort of uh, start to hate them as the team that always wins will be ready for some fresh blood. I don't think we're there yet, but they got more terrifying to me last night to watch them. A team that you're always terrified that Patrick Mahomes is going to go out there and throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns at the drop of a hat. If they need it, he can do it. They showed you last night against a pretty good Bills team. I'm glad to see that we're pumping the brakes a little bit on the Bills. We're pumping the brakes a little bit on Josh Allen, who uh, gave you some flashbacks to the inaccuracies that we've seen the last two years yesterday. It was horrifying to see that they didn't even have to rely on Patrick Mahomes to do anything. They just played good defense and ran it right up the middle all night long. So the Bills were kind of terrifying. Or excuse me, the Chiefs kind of terrifying last night. The funniest thing I gathered from that game on Fox 
was they were promoing the upcoming Thursday night game. They were promoing the upcoming Thursday night game this week, which is uh, if you've got plans on Thursday night, don't worry about canceling them because it is a matchup between <laughs> the winless New York Giants and the what one four and one Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, one win combined between these two teams. They had this little graphic up there, and Fox has been doing these things. I don't know if you've noticed where they have these cartoon drawings. Fox is doing it. I, I don't know if it's like an NFL mandated thing, but Fox has it. ESPN has it. ESPN had one last night where they were showing Andy Dalton, and they had Andy Dalton, whose nickname is famously the Red Rifle because he has like highlighter orange red hair. They gave him brown hair in his cartoon. I don't know if you guys have noticed these cartoons that uh, these cartoon graphics, whoever it is, whether it's Fox or ESPN, they keep putting out there. They're the, some of the worst drawings. They had one of. Um, they had one of Patrick Mahomes, and they made him look like like Tupac, like a rapper straight out of the 90s. It's like, this isn't even what he looks like. What kind of gratuities are we taking with drawing a likeness of Patrick Mahomes here? Anyways, they did one between Daniel Jones and Carson Wentz, and they were comparing these two guys. And I think it was Terry Bradshaw at the halftime show was talking about how much he likes these two quarterbacks. And I love when these networks try their hardest to promote these games that are coming up, despite how awful they are. And the NFC East has always been notorious for having way too many primetime games every single year. Unfortunately, each NFC East team has 10 games remaining on their schedule. Would you believe me if I told you that every single one of those games is televised? Like in a regional network of featured games somewhere, every single one of all 40 NFC East games that are left are going to be televised. That is... Disgusting, But they were pumping up this game for Thursday night, and I was laughing, and they were talking about how much they like Daniel Jones and how much they like Carson Wentz. Most football fans kind of roll their eyes there. But then I realized, you know what's important about Thursday night's football game? The winless New York Giants with a win. We were just talking about how bad the NFC East is. Five total wins combined in that division. The next worst is the AFC East, another dreadful division. They have 10. Okay? Like, that's how bad they are. But the winless Giants, with a win on Thursday night over the Philadelphia Eagles. And Zach Ertz is going to be out. Uh, Miles Sanders is going to be out for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to be a bad night of football. If the Giants win that game, they will be tied for first place with the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, you heard that correctly. They will be tied for first place with the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys. Absolutely unbelievable. The talk of the day, the talk of the week is how bad this NFC East team is. Again, trailing the AFC East by just or by five wins total. Like, oh my gosh, NFC East is or AFC East is so bad, awful. Speaking of that, have you guys been watching much Cam Newton? I know that has been really one of the bigger stories around here as as Panthers fans, we have been making the transition from Cam Newton to Teddy Bridgewater. And everybody was so upset that the Panthers decided to move on from Cam Newton. If you've been watching much Patriots football this year, I still don't know how to evaluate Cam Newton. Uh, missed the one game with the coronavirus thing, right? Uh, the Monday night game that we were sort of robbed of a Cam Newton versus Patrick Mahomes matchup. But when I have watched Cam this year, which has been in a limited capacity, granted, I don't need, know how you can watch this 
six weeks into the season and still think that the Carolina Panthers made the wrong move moving on from Cam Newton. I have to preface this by saying the same thing I've been saying since the news was announced all the way back in February or whenever it was that the Panthers were moving on from Cam Newton officially when they officially decided to release him. I said issue number one was money. Issue number one was money. That being said, a little asterisk here. The Patriots did end up getting Cam Newton for what I think he can potentially make up to like maybe $4.5 million this year, but I think it's just like $1.5 million base salary this season for Cam Newton. That was going to be the biggest issue for the Panthers is what kind of deal can you get for this guy? And I think you have to look at the timeline and say if the Panthers were going to try to you know, restructure some kind of deal with Cam Newton, come up with an extension for him in February, those dollars wouldn't have shaken out the way they did for the Patriots, who were able to pick him up off the scrap heap after 30 other teams in the NFL had passed over the guy. Right? Remember, it took months and months and months for Cam Newton to finally find a home, and it was those months and months of waiting that drove that price down so much. The Panthers weren't going to have that luxury. So that was reason number one. But reason number two is Cam just still looks like he's lost a step. But this is where I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. If you look at this Patriots team and how they are currently constructed, the guy has nobody around him to help. The stat that had me tickled pink on Sunday, and not because I have a problem with Cam Newton. I like Cam Newton. I wish he was still here, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the best reasons why here in a second. I've got an interview that I'm going to play with for you from Cam Newton yesterday. Cam Newton is struggling so much to find a weapon around him this year who can help him turn this god-awful team into something remotely reminiscent of a competitive football team. Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry was a guy who was drafted as a rookie two years ago. Okay, So last year was his rookie season. He was, I think that was the 31st pick in the NFL draft out of Arizona State, which sort of had a lot of guys raising their eyebrows because it's not very often you see the Patriots use a first-round pick, especially on a wide receiver, right? They're sort of the guys who find these guys out of nowhere, and then it's like, oh, wow. You know, um, I'm trying to think of a name off the top of my head. Uh, Danny Amendola is a good player, you know, or hey, Jacoby Myers, a guy who played quarterback at NC State. We're going to turn him into a semi-competent wide receiver. Nikhil Harry was supposed to be a stud. He's kind of flopped. It sort of looks like at this point, still a lot of time in his career, but it was a bit of a whiff for the New England Patriots. On Sunday's game, Sunday's game where the New England Patriots lost to the Denver Broncos, Drew Locke, by the way, became the youngest quarterback in NFL history to trounce into Foxborough and get a win over Bill Belichick, youngest guy to ever do it. He's 23 years and X number of days years old. First youngest guy to ever do that against Bill Belichick. In that game, Cam Newton, who is looking around and I think is realizing he has made a horrible mistake, and it feels like Cam Newton, we're going to be talking about bouncing around in free agency again next year unless they can turn something around the back half of this season. Cam Newton in that game had more receptions than former first-round pick for the New England Patriots, Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry left the game with zero catches (laughs) this weekend, and Cam Newton indeed came away with a 16-yard catch in that game. So uh, it has to make you feel bad for Cam Newton. It seems like this New England Patriots experience is going to flame out for Cam. Cam's going to get a lot of the blame, rightly so, as the quarterback. You get all the glory, you get all the blame. 
but you have to feel like we're not seeing Cam being used to his potential because he simply has no help around him. Um, which, to that point, also makes you appreciate Tom Brady as the incredible quarterback that he was. Tom Brady, we talked about the last two years how his numbers had diminished, and we pointed to all the weapons around him a lot of times. It was, yeah, you know, he's getting old, but as a 42-year-old, right, he was 41 last year, 40 the year before, it makes sense that there's finally some regression in his ability as a quarterback. But then we've seen him come and be rejuvenated in Tampa Bay, where he is surrounded by endless weapons, and you saw him go and lay the smackdown on Aaron Rodgers over the weekend. Cam Newton, it's not a secret at any point in his career, other than maybe 2015 in his rookie year, has not ever been as good a quarterback as Tom Brady. So it makes sense that even Tom Brady, um, or excuse me, that Cam Newton isn't even able to squeeze as much talent out of the little bit of meaningless talent that may exist in New England right now. Cam's really having a tough go at it. I've seen some rumors circulating already. He did look good this weekend. I think he threw for over 400 yards, but I've seen some rumors circulating already that Atlanta Falcons fans, and Panthers, you would hate this, but Falcons fans would like to see maybe a run at Cam Newton this offseason, move on from Matt Ryan, who's, you know, I think on the other side of 35 at this point in his career, move on from Matt Ryan and maybe give Cam Newton a shot in Atlanta. I actually think that could be a really interesting and dynamic football team. If you take all those weapons that exist in Atlanta, Calvin Ridley has surpassed Julio Jones as the best receiver there, even though Julio had 100-some yards and two touchdowns over the weekend. Another year of Todd Gurley, maybe the defense gets a little bit more experience. A.J. Terrell, oof. This cornerback out of Clemson that Arizona, uh, that Atlanta picked up this offseason in the draft, dude is like Pro Bowl level already. If you take all of those weapons in Atlanta and you drop in the middle of that, um, a guy who doesn't have cinder blocks for feet in Cam Newton as opposed to Matt Ryan, I think Atlanta could be a bit of an interesting story going into next year. But that's just an early rumor I'm hearing. There is one thing I have been missing about Cam Newton, is that is Cam Newton interviews. Not so much because of the outfit choices, right? The fashion choices of one Cam Newton, but more to me with his inane way of talking and um, prose, purple prose would be the way I describe this, where everything looks is a little bit extra flowery. Everything is a little bit more of a strange metaphor. I'm going to play a clip for you here right now. This is from... Um, excuse me, I got the wrong thing plugged in. This is from the Greg Hill Show, which is on WEEI uh, up in Boston. And if you know anything about Boston Sports Talk Radio, if you've heard about it over the years, there's two different stations. One's WEEI, and the other one is like, I don't know, The Fan or something like that. They're all called something like that. And one of them really loves the Patriots, and it's like positive, upbeat, sports talk show. The other one is like super down in the dumps and negative. The Greg Hill show is sort of a, a villain of sports talk radio, but that's really just more of a character they play. It, the guy does really good work. And if you're interested in Cam Newton, he is worth like following and paying attention a little bit, but he had Cam Newton on. He has him on every single week on his show yesterday. Take a listen to some of what Cam Newton had to say about this year so far. And I want you to pay extra attention to just some of the phrases. I'll highlight some of them after. Some of the phrases that Cam Newton um, <laughs> maybe tries to How force this into this conversation. So I wanted to ask you mentally to just kind of understand how, how you how you do things. Um, w- when you got that 
that positive test, was it, you know, because you had some momentum going, team, you know, teams playing, you know, well in a couple big games right up to the end. Did you did you ask yourself, like, you know, oh, I, I can't believe this is going on right now, or are you a guy who just o- overcomes whatever barrier is put in front of you? Man, I, my life here in the last two years have, have in essence, been like that. And, you know, my faith in, in – in, you know, the God I serve never wavers. You know, I, I, it's not my job to question why, you know, and, and, and man, why I got to deal with this or why I got to do this. Or, man, it was just, you know, getting to the point where I could feel, you know, it's, it's my job to say yes, sir, and, and yes, Lord, and, and, and get it done. Um, you know, yeah, there, there's been a lot of unfortunate events that, that, that has transpired for me, you know, and this is not the only one. But yet, you know, I will not, I will not complain. I will look at, you know, dead in this eyeball and not blink. And, uh, you know, I think that's what any person will want to do. And, and I'm, you know, the things that I've been faced with is it's on the world's display. And, you know, I have to, I have to accept the challenge and be better from it. Cam, what was the process like to get back on the field following your positive COVID test? And how difficult was it for you? to watch that Chiefs game and how close it was at home? And did you ever lobby coach hard to maybe, you know, is there any way I could play in that game? Of course, of course. But, you know, I don't think it was coach's decision. I think it was more or less the doctors. And I think, you know, this, this whole pandemic has threw a wrench in a lot of, a lot of organizations. And, you know, for us being one of them, you know, it's an ongoing, you know, situation that, you know, we don't. We do not have any, any of the slightest idea of where it's coming from. Who has it? Who contracts it? Where you contract it from? How you were to you know to to do certain things? Because I I, I do believe we have you know did the proper um, had the proper precautions with 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 everything that that has taken place, and you still cannot be you know understand where 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 stemming from uh but yet you know watching games here in my living room or you know watching games and 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 saying to yourself man if i was there you know i would have done this or i would have did that but yet you know everybody's coached the same way you know coach josh and jed and, and, and you know coach bill you know those guys do a great job in preparing us for for the moment so you know needless to say who is in the game and needless to say if i'm in the game or not you know i do know that we all have to just play better and and uh you know knowing the guys in that locker room as i would say again you know we will be better so again courtesy of the uh greg hill show on weei right there some of the highlights was uh (laughs) i got three different quotes here that i specifically liked and i wrote down from cam newton one thing was he said, I don't point fingers, I point thumbs. Okay, so Cam Newton's not blaming anybody else. He's not pointing fingers. He is pointing the thumb right back on himself, which makes sense. His first pass of the day, in fact, this weekend against the Broncos was an interception. Uh, Cam Newton was also asked on this show if this team was talented enough to make a playoff run. And his response to that, a pretty basic question, is this team talented enough to make a playoff run? Cam Newton, and this is something I missed from him, we have no room to look through a telescope. Our focus should be with a microscope. 
let that one sink in. A little bit of meta conversation here from Cam Newton. He also said on WEEI, the sky might be falling, but listen, I'll bring my umbrella and my raincoat to get the job done. So you always hear this so-and-so is a lunch pail kind of guy. Cam Newton is a umbrella and a raincoat guy right now because the sky is falling in New England. Uh, the comparison is going to continue to be between he and Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater not look good this weekend. We haven't talked much Carolina uh, Panthers football. We may get to some of that today. If not, we'll definitely pick up on some Panthers talk tomorrow as we'll sort of look back on the Chicago game and look ahead to um, Panthers versus New Orleans. Panthers versus New Orleans, which will be a big game coming up this weekend. In fact, a homecoming, a bit of a revenge game for Teddy Bridgewater, which should be exciting. But uh, Bridgewater, zero touchdowns, two interceptions over the weekend. Uh, Worst performance of the year by Teddy Bridgewater, looking to get some chemistry going between he and DJ Moore still. But Cam Newton, how about this? Since 2016, he has 15 interceptions against the Blitz including one this past weekend against Chicago. That is the second most in the NFL behind Jameis Winston. When it comes to being under pressure, the only person who has thrown more interceptions in the NFL since 2015 is Jameis Winston. So when you look out there, Panthers fans, and you say, I really wish I still had Cam Newton. Do you want almost, can can I say it, a lesser version of Jameis Winston at this point, I mean, his legs still seem to be doing about the same thing. Cam Newton's still able to get out there and, and cut it up and fly up and down the field. But when it comes to taking care of the football, he still is not able to do that. His accuracy is up this year. Cam's accuracy is uh, approaching a career high. He's at a 68% clip right now. But at what cost? He has thrown for less than 200 yards in three of his four games so far this year with the New England Patriots. Um, so you're really not missing much. The whole point here is we're really not missing much in Carolina when it comes to Cam Newton. The whole idea here was turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. I will say this. If you watched that game last night between Dallas and Arizona, there is a guy that was on that football field last night that should give you uh, shades and memories of Cam Newton. It was Kyler Murray. It was Kyler Murray who was absolutely unbelievable last night. i got a stat for you here before we go to break. There are only two players in NFL history who have had 5,000 or more passing yards and 800 or more rushing yards in their first 21 career starts. Cam Newton was the first. Kyler Murray eclipsed that number last night now over 5,000 yards and 800 rushing yards as he made an absolute mockery of the Dallas Cowboys last night so let's do that let's take a break when we come back we talk a little Dallas Cowboys here on the Sam Avila show stick around happy five o'clock welcome back to the Sam Avila show I'm Sam Avila this segment being brought to you by Toyota of New Bern. You know all about the great Toyota lineup. New and pre-owned vehicles out there at Toyota of New Bern. Every Toyota that is purchased from Toyota of New Bern comes with the Toyota Family Pledge, unlimited lifetime maintenance, free loaner cars, lots of really cool stuff. But I wanted to make sure that you know as trick-or-treating is right around the corner for the little ones, not for you, if you're a grown man still trick-or-treating um (laughs) actually i would give you candy if you came to my house and you were wearing a full costume 
um, there's a part of me that would raise my eyebrow a little bit. And then I'd be like, yeah, you know, you put forth the effort. So here's your reward. Here is your candy. But trick or treating might look a little bit different this year. And if you're trying to give your little ones uh, a taste of the trick-or-treating experience, well, you can head on out to Toyota of New Bern on October 30th. That'll be next Friday. Not this Friday, the next Friday. Head out there at 6 o'clock, Toyota of New Bern that evening for a very special trunk or treat. It's trunk or treat at Toyota of New Bern coming up October 30th. you got to go out there and give those guys some love because I tell you, uh, Paul McDonald, the owner out there, really does so much for this community. We, of course, appreciate his support here on the radio, but make sure you go out there and see the good folks at Toyota of New Bern. Truck or treat next Friday night at 6 o'clock. Fun for everyone, right? Fun for everyone. So uh, just earmark that one away and be out there next Friday. Truck or treat. That's Toyota of New Bern. Toyota of New Bern, proud sponsors of the Sam Avila Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. We got baseball coming up tonight. Uh, first pitch is, I don't know, like 8.17 or something like that. Television broadcast will be starting up at 8 o'clock. Dodgers versus Rays, game one here in the World Series. A lot of you around here probably do not care about this. I personally am cheering for the Tampa Bay Rays because there were two things that I wanted to happen in baseball this year. Number one, I wanted the Astros to win just because I root for the chaos and I would have liked to have seen the villain hoist the championship at the end of the year. Nobody wanted the Astros. The cheating Astros. The no-good-for-nothing Astros. Come up just short, but more importantly, I wanted to see the Atlanta Braves get to the World Series. Now, selfishly, because I'm a bad friend, uh, and I have a lot of Braves fans as friends of mine, I wanted them to get to the World Series and then come up just short. That way I could rub it in my friends' faces. Uh, I'm sorry, Braves fans. But I also want to see that happen now with the Dodgers. Like Now that the Dodgers are there and they've been so close for so many years, I think it would be a – I mean, not in, in no positive way, like in a completely pessimistic way, it would be very funny, I think, make for good sports talk radio. But we've got Tyler Glass now versus Clayton Kershaw uh, taking the mound tonight. Uh, and I'm just hoping for Clayton Kershaw's sake as he went out. See, everybody, he got messed up in that last start that he had. But it was it, he did fine until the sixth inning, and then they decided to send Clayton Kershaw, who's coming off of a back injury, out in the sixth inning after throwing, like, I don't know, 80, 90 pitches or something, and made him face the top of that Atlanta Braves order. Fast forward like 20 minutes, and the Dodgers are in a 6-1 hole. So I don't really blame Clayton Kershaw for that, but we know the stories about how he has perennially struggled in the postseason. His ERA is ridiculous. If you look at his appearances in wild cards, in divisional series, and in conference series matchups, and then even to the World Series, it is just like exponential growth of his ERA year in and year out. So for Clayton Kershaw's sake, I hope that tomorrow is not yet another one of these instances where... ESPN Radio all day long is crucifying Clayton Kershaw for not showing up. But that's going to be on him. You can catch that live here on the radio coming up a little bit later. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have that on the radio. But one of the stories that we've talked about certainly plenty here today so far is the Dallas Cowboys, who were the most interesting story from last night and we always do this and we're going to continue to harp on the NFC East despite the fact that as a conference 
or as a division rather, they have only won five total games so far this season. The Dallas Cowboys, if you missed it last night, Cowboys fans, a lot of you probably turned this off. 38-10 to was the final score in the first game for Dallas since losing Dak Prescott for the season. Andy Dalton, in relief for Dak Prescott last week, went a perfect 11-for-11 and threw like 134 yards and actually was the architect behind manufacturing a late-game touchdown drive for Dallas to win the game last weekend. Andy Dalton didn't quite look like the same guy last night. So there's a couple different ways I want to break this down here. Um, Number one, I think people are putting too much blame on Andy Dalton today. Uh, I do not think Andy Dalton was necessarily the problem last night. Not that he was good. The final numbers for Andy Dalton, 34 for 54, 266 yards, one touchdown, two picks. That's a 38.7 QBR. That's not good. Just 4.9 yards per reception. The most fascinating thing was it took until the third quarter for CeeDee Lamb to even get a target in this game, despite the fact that Andy Dalton has thrown the ball 54 times. I don't want to blame Andy Dalton today. I want to give Andy Dalton the benefit of the doubt. Number one, because we should not have had expectations for Andy Dalton. If you listened to the show yesterday, I am here now to apologize to Cowboys fans. I am here to apologize for anybody who have maybe thought that betting on Dallas last night was going to be profitable. I sat up here yesterday and I said that Andy Dalton is not going to make this Dallas Cowboys team miss a beat. And the reason I said that is because I said two years ago, two years ago, we could have, or we were having, rather, we were having a legitimate conversation when Andy Dalton was still the starter in Cincinnati. We were saying, are they really any different? If you were to take Andy Dalton and you were to take Dak Prescott, put them in a vacuum, spit out the results, does it look any different? And I would have thought that most people would be like, no, it's pretty much the same guy. What I failed to account for was that, well, you know, Dak Prescott's gotten a lot better in two years, and Andy Dalton, uh, heading into the twilight of his career, has obviously started to drop off a little bit. But there are a couple different ways to look at this. So number one, uh, yes, as, as yesterday I was sitting up here saying, they're kind of the same guy. Andy Dalton might be just as good as Dak Prescott. No, I'm starting to think now, and it should have been the most obvious thing ever, and I will absolutely admit fault on this. It's starting to look like Dak Prescott might be a better quarterback than Andy Dalton. <laughs> And I hope as I say that, there is a resounding no bleep, Sam, coming from all across eastern North Carolina. So I will take that L, and uh, I will hold it near and dear to my heart going forward and in my evaluation of Andy Dalton. But really, the blame last night needs to fall upon the guy who, for some reason, Cowboys fans thought was going to be the solution when they got rid of Jason Garrett. Problem number one was Mike McCarthy. Problem number two was Ezekiel Elliott, but problem number one was Mike McCarthy. The fact that Ezekiel Elliott, early in this game especially, had two turnovers, two fumbles, back-to-back drives, two fumbles for Ezekiel Elliott after already fumbling once a week ago. There's this thing in football, college, and the NFL, if you can't hold on to the ball, you're not going to be in the game. You can do you can make a lot of mistakes and college coaches or NFL coaches or any football coach can live with some mistakes. They can live with an incomplete pass. They can live with a missed assignment. But you know what they do not stand for? They do not tolerate it. It's putting the ball on the ground. 
So Ezekiel Elliott did that two different times last night. Because of that, as a direct result, two things happened. Number one, they limited Ezekiel Elliott's carries to just 12 total yards. Or, excuse me, 12 total carries. Went for 49 yards, 4.1 yard average. Some of this was game script, but a lot of this was they said we can't continue to put the ball in Ezekiel Elliott's hands because it is absolutely killing us every time he touches the ball. But it goes without saying that he's probably the best playmaker on this Dallas Cowboys team. But because of that, and because of Mike McCarthy, they asked Andy Dalton to go out there and throw the ball 54 times last night. 54 times last night. That's how many times they asked Andy Dalton to throw the football. What kind of upside-down, multiverse, alternate reality, different dimension am I living in where somebody says, what's going to be the recipe to win this game tonight? Andy Dalton's going to throw the football 54 times. To me, the writing is on the wall there that this isn't going to be successful. There has to be a different way to go about this because you're throwing the ball 54 times and you're completing them for next to nothing when you're throwing the ball downfield. 4.1 yards per catch last night. 4.1 yards per catch for the Dallas Cowboys last night. Against, and this is just another nuance thing here, because not Dallas is bad. Okay, Dallas is clearly bad. I cannot believe that this uh, doomsday scenario, that at the beginning of the season, when we picked every single team's schedule for the 2020 football season, I was kind of just trying to rib Cowboys fans as an Eagles fan, and I had the Dallas Cowboys going 3-13 and this year. I mean, they have two wins, or two-thirds of the way there, but I think most Cowboys fans would have thought that after six weeks of the season, you would be sitting, what, 4-2 and two, maybe at this point? And I don't want to hear the boo-hoo story about Dak Prescott because this is last night was the first game that you've lost since losing Dak Prescott, even a week ago when you had him or when he got hurt mid-game, Andy Dalton still came in and played really well. To me, all the blame goes on Mike McCarthy. More specifically, all the blame goes back on Jerry Jones. That's always the story. All the blame needs to go back on Jerry Jones because Jerry Jones likes to be in charge. It's as tale as old as time. Jerry Jones likes to have a guy who can be a puppet. Instead, he went from tiny little puppet in Jason Garrett to big, chunky, marshmallow-looking puppet in Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy lost this game for Dallas last night. Mike McCarthy has shown that he is incompetent. Mike McCarthy is a Super Bowl winning uh, football coach. Mike McCarthy has a Super Bowl ring. And it's somehow a knock against his career. I'm going to say that again. Mike McCarthy has won a Super Bowl, and it should go down as a knock against his career. Do you have any idea why? When he won that Super Bowl, he was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and he was coaching Aaron Rodgers at probably the peak of his career. And the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers got his one and only Super Bowl. One and only Super Bowl for Aaron Rodgers. The problem there is that Mike McCarthy was in Green Bay for what? I don't know, seven, eight, nine, maybe even ten years? And despite having Aaron Rodgers for all those years, he was and having some great Packers teams in there, some really good defenses, right? Remember, that was when like Clay Matthews was in his prime. That's when A.J. Hawk was in his prime. That was a stacked team on both sides of the football. And Mike McCarthy somehow 
took all of those years and not only just didn't come away with more than one Super Bowl, didn't even come away with another Super Bowl appearance. So that right there should tell you that Mike McCarthy uh, is not a great coach. But what I love about that, because I'm not, I don't like dislike Mike McCarthy, but what I love about him is uh, an old clip that I've pulled up here from his introductory press conference. You guys have done this throughout your life where you have gone and uh, you've had to apply for a new job, right? It's like, it's like, hey, you know, my time's up, whatever. I've been fired or I just want to change. I am out looking for a new job. So what is the first thing you do when you have a new job or when you're looking for a job? You go dust off the old resume, right? And you're looking, you're like, okay, wow, this, uh, this resume is not nearly as impressive as it needs to be if I'm going to try to get this job. So you go in there and you do the classic resume padding. Maybe you make up some positions that you've had in the past. Maybe you lie about a degree that you maybe partially finished but never actually finished. Maybe you do one of my favorite things where I know I worked at a grocery store here in town when I was in high school. I uh, worked, worked there for a couple of months and for the, you know, the next few jobs that I had where, you know, what do they say, put your most three recent jobs or something like that. I, I had to list that. I wanted to list that because I, you know, you, you know, you know how to construct a resume. You don't want like the gap in employment and all that stuff. So I'm sitting there listening, and I was just like a cashier and a cart boy. But and when it comes to like job descriptions, instead of cashier, I would put things like facilitate in customer relations, right? Like you you phrase it differently. So if somebody's reading it, it makes you sound like you were more important and you did more than what maybe your actual job was. The classic resume padding. I didn't think that Mike McCarthy was going to have to turn to resume padding when he was trying to apply for the Dallas Cowboys job, but he did, and I've got a clip for you to prove it. Not only do I love that Mike McCarthy did it, I love that it worked, and Jerry Jones bought it hook, line, and sinker. Take a listen. This is from Mike McCarthy's introductory press conference earlier this year, admitting to lying to Jerry Jones. When he was explaining his qualifications for the job. You said you analyzed every play or watched every play of the entire 2019 season. What is it that you learned from that experience that you think will benefit you most here? Well, I mean, I, I, I need to confess. I mean, I told Jerry I watched every play of the 2019 season, but I wanted the job. So, uh, I, I, I have... I, I haven't watched every play of the season, but it, it was just, uh, I mean, you do what you got to do, right? But. I can't even really knock him for that. Like, I, I really, I do not blame Mike McCarthy for doing that. He hit the nail on the head. You're, you do what you got to do, right? The guy you hear laughing next to him maniacally, do you want to take a guess as to who that is? That's Jerry Jones laughing next to him as he hears that. And Jerry Jones is laughing, but the joke is on him because he is now saddled with this guy for at least the time being, at least temporarily here. But if you think that Dallas Cowboys Nation was the butt of the joke for, I don't know, the, what, the last eternity? I mean, I, I from my age... The peak Cowboys years that I watched was all the Tony Romo stuff. Like, Tony Romo was there for so long. Most of my lifetime has been spent watching Dak Prescott and Tony Romo. Those have been the two guys in Cowboys Nation. And so, what have I seen from the Cowboys? I have seen a lot of 7-9 and nine seasons. I've seen a lot of 8-8 eight and eight seasons. They thought Jason Garrett was the problem. They moved on from him. Obviously, Mike McCarthy is the bigger problem. He's such a big problem... 
<laughs> Listen to this quote from the game last night. After the game last night, here's what Mike McCarthy had to say about the 38-10 to loss to the Arizona Cardinals. Quote, I felt like our preparation coming into this game was our best this year. They lost 38-10. to He says, I think our preparation coming into this game was our best this year. I don't know what exactly went wrong for Dallas last night. I don't know if the fact that Ezekiel Elliott fumbling two times in the first half changed the game script for them so much where they were afraid to put the ball in Zeke's hands going forward, and that turned into Tony Pollard having 10 carries in that game. Tony Pollard's a guy who gets like four, maybe five touches a game. He's kind of a change of pace guy, and all Zeke can't breathe because he's been, you know, handling 25 touches this game. We're going to mix in some Tony Pollard. I don't know if it was just the game script was way off kilter and you're throwing Andy Dalton out there in a primetime game. But if your coach is saying that this was the best preparation we had all season and the end result turns into 38 to 10. Well, then I think the issue should maybe go away from the personnel and you should start looking at the guy up top. And I mean above Mike McCarthy even still. I mean even Steven Jones. Cowboys fans, I never understand how they haven't figured out that problem number one forever. And some of them know this, but you used to just blame Jerry Jones. And then Steven Jones sort of seemed to be the guy that came in and took over. Uh, the most famous thing that Jerry Jones has, or excuse me, that Steven Jones, his son has done, is famously take the draft card out of Jerry Jones's hand on draft night when Jerry wanted to draft Johnny Manziel. That seemed like, in hindsight, a very competent move, right? <laughs> But outside of that, you have this quote-unquote, I'll say, first family of football. Outside of like the Mannings, the Jones family is one of the most popular, well-known families that are involved in the NFL. But nobody has ever said that just because you have a billionaire who has been owning this Dallas Cowboys team for so long, just because you have the money doesn't mean you have the competence. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you have the competence. You would think that the money could buy you some competence, maybe not within yourself, but maybe elsewhere. Jude Johnson, right? But that, but Jerry Jones wants to be the guy that if in this crazy, fantastical world, the Dallas Cowboys end up hoisting a Super Bowl on the limited amount of time that Jerry Jones has left on this earth. And I know that's morbid, and I'm sorry, but damn it if it's the truth. And Jerry knows it. Trust me, Jerry Jones is very, very well aware that he has a limited window in which he can hoist another championship for his Dallas Cowboys. It's always going to be his ego that is the thing that gets in the way. But the bigger problem is is that even sometimes his ego won't get in the way. Even sometimes when I think Jerry Jones has to be mad enough to come in and change things. And maybe this will be the breaking point. He doesn't do it. Perfect example last night. Middle of the third quarter. Dallas Cowboys are down by 25 points. Okay, Dallas Cowboys are down by 25 points. At this point, it doesn't even feel that close because Kyler Murray is growing up right in front of her eyes and this Cliff Kingsbury air raid offense is looking scarier and scarier every single week. Arizona's good. Dallas lost to a good team last night, but Dallas is supposed to be on par with that team with or without Dak Prescott. I'm sorry. But down 25 points in the third quarter last night, Mike McCarthy on fourth and, I don't know, it was like fourth and four, I think. 
What does he decide to do? What would you do if you're down? If your team's down? If you're the head coach, you're down twenty five. You're at fourth and four, and you're on the thirty eight yard line. You're on the forty yard line. You would probably opt to go for it in this situation. At this point in the game, you're like, this is the closest we've been in a while. Maybe we need to take a shot here. Maybe we need all the analytics these days. You hear these coaches talk about it all the time. All the analytics point to if it's fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and four, you go for it. You go for it because the risk reward massively outweighs the negative potential consequences. But what does Mike McCarthy do? He decides to trot out Dan Bailey to attempt a 58 yarder. Dan Bailey, down by 25, out there to attempt a 58-yarder. Dan Bailey's a good kicker, but 58 yards is a long way. He missed it. Not surprising. Actually, I don't know. Who was that, Dan Bailey? I don't remember who their kicker is. I think it's it's Zane Gonzalez now. Whoever their kicker was. Dan Bailey was there a couple years ago. Try the kicker out there, 58-yarder, down by 25. Fast forward about 15 seconds, let the play run out. They're still down by 25. Now they just don't have the football anymore. If I was Jerry Jones and everybody wants to tell me about how big my ego is all the time, I'm going to flex it right there. and I'm getting in the elevator. I'm going down to that field, and Mike McCarthy's not going to see the fourth quarter. I'm going to say, you know what? I've seen enough. I don't know why I hired you, Bozo, in the first place. <laughs> but I know Cowboys fans, you want to get mad at Andy Dalton last night. And he wasn't good. Give him a little bit of time to maybe feel it out. You're going to have ups and downs. Like Ask any Bengals fan ever. There's a lot of people that probably used to be Bengals fans that quit being Bengals fans because of Andy Dalton. I have the solution for you, though, Cowboys fans. Because you know what? It may come back to bite you in the butt, but it's going to be exciting every step of the way. There's a guy out there right now sitting on a bench. He's actually the third quarterback on somebody's depth chart in the NFC. That you can't tell me if he was not walking out there instead of Andy Dalton, you would not be more excited about. Because he might throw the two interceptions that Andy Dalton threw last night, but he's also going to throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns. The savior who needs to be there for Dallas. Just a one-year deal, right? Dak's coming back next year. He's going to be fine. He's going to recover from a broken ankle. He's got the best doctors in the world. It's 2020. Medicine's come a long way. A broken ankle is okay. This isn't like a Bo Jackson thing where it's career-ending. It's like, no, he's going to be fine. If you want to make any kind of run and you only need to win like four more games and you'll lock this division up because they're just that dreadful, why not get on the phone with the New Orleans Saints and try to make a deal for Jameis Winston? Because Jameis Winston, surrounded by Amari Cooper, surrounded by CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and Ezekiel Elliott, if six weeks in New Orleans could have at least coached 15% of the boneheadedness out of Jameis Winston, then I legitimately, I am not joking, I am saying this with a straight face, I promise I am not teasing you. The Dallas Cowboys should make a trade for Jameis Winston. There I said it. There I said it. I'm not sure who Dallas has coming up on their schedule next week. I can go ahead and tell you that... um, it's going to probably keep getting worse until it gets better. The The easiest solution would be for Ezekiel Elliott to revert back to what he was a couple of years ago. Think about this, by the way. I, mean, I wanted to mention this as well. Dak Prescott 
has been so special for the Dallas Cowboys. And I, I, the more and more I think about this, I cannot believe that he has not gotten more money out of Dallas yet. And they have not locked him up on a long-term deal. Because what Dak Prescott did is he came in and he saved that organization. And hear me out when I say why he saved that organization. They drafted him the same year they drafted Ezekiel Elliott, right? Ezekiel Elliott was what, like a top five pick that year? They used the first round pick on him. And then they wanted to draft Brock Osweiler. Like Brock Osweiler, there's a they did the Amazon original series All or Nothing a couple of years ago on the Dallas Cowboys. And it was basically chronicling the whole entire all all of Dak's rookie season. And it was the they showed the year like in the war room on draft day where they got Zeke and they were so excited. And then they were targeting Brock Osweiler. They really wanted to take Brock Osweiler. And they missed out on him because Denver took him. And if you don't remember Brock Osweiler, it's because he was out of the league. He came in, one of the biggest uh, heists of NFL history, came in, made like $60 million over four years, and is already out of the league because he was that bad. Dak Prescott ended up being what, like a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder? And now he has turned into the franchise. And he has turned into the injury that has probably ruined this year. It was kind of ruined already, but you get what I'm saying. Any real bright future for Dallas this year is now completely out the window. What would we be thinking about this Dallas Cowboys team? What would we be thinking about Stephen Jones as an executive? What would we be thinking about anybody making a decision in the front office? We already think very little of them. But if we were looking back on that year now, and they had not taken Dak Prescott... Let's say they ended up with Brock Osweiler. Let's say they ended up with somebody else. Do you know who would probably be stuck with them having at quarterback right now? Cooper Rush. It would have been the Cooper Rush-Ezekiel Elliott show, and that's not a show any of you want to buy a ticket for. They owe Dak Prescott so much, and I was thinking about that earlier, where it's like they drafted Zeke and Dak in the same year. If Dak had not found his way to Dallas as a late-round quarterback, diamond-in-the-rough kind of guy— what would we be thinking about that Ezekiel Elliott pick? Because now, in hindsight, with the amount of winning that they have not done, Zeke has had his moments. Yes, he's also been a gigantic headache, and he's underperformed at times. And like I said last night, if you're former first-round um, running back who now what just re-upped in this offseason a six-year $90 million deal, that's what six years for $90 million got you, Cowboys fans. Six years, $90 million for Ezekiel Elliott to go out there, give you two fumbles, 46 yards on 12 carries. If it wasn't for Dak Prescott, somehow, some way, we would be laughing at the Dallas Cowboys even more. Now, that's a world I'd be fine with living in. The more and more we wanted to laugh at the Dallas Cowboys, I'm completely okay with it. But food for thought, if it wasn't for Dak Prescott being in that draft, how much worse... How much worse could Dallas be sitting here today? They didn't draft him to come be the franchise guy. They drafted him because they just needed to fill some quarterback depth. And it turned out they just kind of blindly stumbled in to a guy who could maybe be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, top five guy for the next decade. But now he has a broken ankle and you're stuck with Andy Dalton. More of the Sam Avila show after this. Welcome back to the Sam Avila show. Going to get to some uh, fairly quick fantasy football stuff here in just a minute. Got some, I don't know, you don't want to listen to me. Like I told you at the beginning of the show, one of my leagues, I picked up my first win of the season <laughs> this week. It took all the, it took me six weeks to get a win. I'm doing okay in a couple other ones, but uh, a lot of you guys have waiver wires processing tonight. 
So, got a couple of uh, quick notes on some folks that you can pick up to. We're going to get to real quickly here in just a minute. I wanted to share this with you. A report that came through here during the break. We were just talking about the Dallas Cowboys, right? We were just talking about the Dallas Cowboys, and I said all the blame last night really needs to go to Mike McCarthy. And the the great quote is that Mike McCarthy said in his post-game interviews last night that that game last night and this past week was the best preparation that the Dallas Cowboys have had this year, okay? That's right out of Mike McCarthy's big, stupid, dumb mouth. That's mean, but come on. At this point, Cowboys fans, you're thinking it too. He said this was the best amount of preparation that they had all week, and that led to a disastrous 38-10 to loss. This is coming through like right now. This is per NFL Network's Jan's, Jan's Jane, excuse me, Jen, Jane, Jan, Jane Slater. Jane Slater, who works for the NFL Network, is reporting that an unknown, unnamed, excuse me, an unnamed Cowboys player said members of the coaching staff are, quote, not good at their jobs. She goes on to report that another player said the coaches are, quote, totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. So we were saying it here, and now it's coming straight from the reports uh, from Dallas players themselves. So um, not good. Not good as you have a little bit of a civil war going on there in the Dallas Cowboys facility now. And I'm sure things are only going to get worse for some of you Cowboys fans. Well, Cowboys fans, actually, I don't even feel bad for y'all because you guys will just jump on the next bandwagon closest to you. But for the rest of us who like cheering against Dallas, we're just sitting back and eating the popcorn at this point, right? Like, I'm hoping for a massive implosion. That kind of tells me. I never thought I would say this, but are we in? A, are we approaching a legitimate situation? Are we approaching a real situation where Mike McCarthy could end up losing his job before Adam Gase loses his job with the New York Jets? Because there is some. You might say like, no, 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 no. Adam Gase is going to get fired first. Maybe not, because if you're running the New York Jets. And Adam Gase is losing a bunch of games, and you know you want to talk about incompetence. That seems to be public enemy number one is Adam Gase. But if you're the Jets, like that's good. That's going right according to script, right? The Jets have no intention of winning anything. It sounds like Sam Darnold's name is starting to be tossed around there for trade rumors. So if you're going to move on from Sam Darnold and you want to keep losing and you're looking ahead to the next year's NFL draft and you're looking at Goldilocks down there in Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, uh, then I would want Adam Gase to continue to be my head coach because I know that I'm not going to win. This is the same Adam Gase who just coached a team to exactly zero points this past weekend against the Miami Dolphins, of all people. So there's a real chance that Adam Gase sticks around for the entirety of this season. But Mike McCarthy might be fired um, before we even make it halfway. Something to keep an eye on there uh, in Dallas, certainly. I did want to mention this real quick. Did you see the story? I'd never heard of the guy, but there's a a Jet. He's now an ex-Jet. He's a defensive tackle. He goes by the name of Steve McClendon. Steve McClendon, who was a New York Jet up until this last Sunday, this most recent Sunday. So the New York Jets obviously go into Miami, and they score zero points, and they lose the game. And the winless season continues for the New York Jets, who are just absolutely bleeping terrible. 
Well, Steve McClendon, who was a member of the New York Jets, has now become a very, very happy man. Listen to this report. This is from the NFL Network's Peter Schrager. Following the New York Jets' loss to the Miami Dolphins, it was reported that the Jets were trading defensive tackle Steve McClendon to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of all people. Once he found out the news, McClendon wasted no time leaving the New York Jets and joining the Bucks as he hopped into his car and drove to Miami from Tampa Bay. Yes, the exact port from Peter Schrager is that defensive tackle Steve McClendon, which traded at the end of Sunday's Jets-Dolphins game, traded from the Jets to the Buccaneers and he didn't even bother getting on the bus or the plane ride to make the trip back to New York. He just walked outside, hopped in a car and just drove the few short little drives, a few couple of hours over to Tampa Bay. God bless that man who just escaped the 0-6 Jets and what now has joined a 4-2 and Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that's not just a contender in the NFC. It's a legitimate Super Bowl um, contender, especially after the beatdown that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers handed to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. So uh, that's two different guys who have escaped the clutches of Adam Gase and the New York Jets. It has been uh, Le'Veon Bell, famously, last week, right, who's now at the Chiefs and is in the driver's seat to get a Super Bowl ring. And then a defensive tackle I'd never even heard of, Steve McClendon. (laughs) had his day made. I'm sure he was so defeated and so down in the dumps after being part of the team, being a part of a New York Jets team that lost 24 to nothing to the Dolphins. An easy way to cure the blues there is to uh, have your general manager come in and say, Steve, you know, it's just not working out. We're going to trade you to the Buccaneers. Well, sir, say no more. I am out of here. Didn't even bother getting on the team plane. I I love that. I'm hoping that more and more stories come out like that. You have to, how do you get any momentum or motivation, rather, to get up and go to war with the New York Jets? And we're a long ways from this happening. And I can't imagine he would do something like this. And obviously, seating wise and record wise, there's a lot of things that can happen here. But the New York Jets are, as of right now, destined to be the number one pick next year which would give them the first shot at Trevor Lawrence, barring one thing. Well, really two things could happen. Number one is uh, they could rattle off six straight wins, which you're laughing, but that's what happened last year. Remember the New York Jets like won like six of their last seven games last year. It was the worst thing that could have ever happened to that team. They were in the driver's seat for an incredible first-round pick, and then at the end of the year we're like, no, we want to be good now for nothing. So that could happen again. Probably not as likely with the way this team is trending. But what could also happen is Trevor Lawrence could say no in two different ways. Number one, we've seen quarterbacks do this before, right? Like famously, Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers should have had like a Freaky Friday situation going on with their NFL careers where Phillip Rivers could have been the guy that won two Super Bowls in New York with the Giants. But Eli Manning pitched a fit and didn't want to go to L.A. He wanted to be a quarterback in New York, so he forced that trade on uh, draft night, right? And that sent P-Riv out to then San Diego, or or rather, and then it sent New York, uh, sent Eli Manning, excuse me, to New York to play with the Giants. Trevor Lawrence could always do something like that. Like Quarterbacks have a lot of power, especially on draft night. They could just say, well, I'm not going to sign with you. It's not under any kind of contract yet. Just because somebody drafts you doesn't mean you have to sign. 
But what he could also do is he's a junior. Like if if he has to get stuck with the Jets, if you're Trevor Lawrence, and we enter into this draft process once you know the seasons wrap up, and you're doing your scouting, if Trevor Lawrence is being told by the Jets, "Hey, we're going to pick you," and Trevor Lawrence says, "I'm not going to sign," and they say, "Too bad, we're going to pick you anyways." Trevor Lawrence has all the ability in the world to say, okay, well, I'll go back and try to win another national championship at Clemson. I don't think he would do that. I'm just saying there's some real potential there. But uh, the Jets certainly trending in the wrong direction. All right, let's get to this some of this um, waiver wire advice going into the week. I'll try to make some of this quick. We've got four teams going on a bye this week in the NFL, which means a lot of your fantasy football teams are going to be decimated because we have some important teams hitting the bye week. Indianapolis Colts, bye week. Baltimore Ravens, bye week. Miami Dolphins, bye week. Minnesota Vikings, bye week. So let's go position by position here, and let's see if any of you have a hole that needs filling. Quarterbacks who are going to be out this week. Phillip Rivers, most of you, I hope, are not starting Phillip Rivers in your fantasy football league. But if you are, this is for you. Lamar Jackson, obviously a lot of you are going to be without Lamar Jackson this week. It was gonna. You were gonna be without Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know personally. I have Fitzpatrick in a league. It was announced earlier today that Tua Tagovailoa, coming out of the bye week, is now going to be the starter. Yes, it is Tua time in Miami. So if you have Fitzpatrick, I hope you've been hanging on to Tua. If not, maybe try to make that move tonight because your quarterback. Uh, not only is he going on a bye week, he's being benched after that. And then there may be some of you that have Kirk Cousins. So. What is the rule of thumb here? The rule of thumb is I'm going to give you a couple of names that I think can have good fantasy weeks, but the caveat here is these are guys who are owned by less than 50%. They're owned in less than 50% of ESPN fantasy football leagues right now. So if your waiver wires process on Tuesday nights, Wednesday morning, that's how most of these leagues are set up. These are some guys that are most likely available. Now, if you see better names, go get them. But I'm guessing that most of you won't be able to have better options than some of these names that are going to be out there. Two quarterbacks that I love going into this week that are very lowly owned. Justin Herbert, coming off of a bye week. Keenan Allen is going to be back healthy. Hunter Henry has been healthy. There's a chance that Austin Eckler plays this week. And Mike Williams just exploded for the 150-yard game that we've been waiting to see for him ever since he was at Clemson. So Justin Herbert and then Teddy Bridgewater. The reason I'm big on Teddy Bridgewater this week is he's coming off of a week where he threw just 50% completions. Only completed 50% of his passes, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. That seems like a guy you wouldn't want to jump all over, right? The reason I think he's going to be a worthy fantasy streaming option this week at the quarterback position is... Those haven't been his numbers all year. He has been pretty consistently a 260, 270-yard-per-game, two-touchdown guy so far this season. Panthers fans, you've been familiar with the weapons that he has so far uh, between Mike Davis, who hasn't missed a beat with Christian McCaffrey being out, Robbie Anderson proving that he's more than just a straight-line target if you get him away from Adam Gase. Curtis Samuel's been fine, a little shaken up right now. We're waiting to see the chemistry emerge and build with DJ Moore and Teddy Bridgewater. But more importantly, it's who Teddy Bridgewater is playing this week. And it is his old team in the New Orleans Saints. A bit of a uh, revenge game there. I'm all about those storylines when it comes to fantasy football. So uh, a lot of you, if you're without Lamar Jackson or Fitzpatrick or P. Riv or Kirk Cousins this week, 
two guys that I'm really all about in a streaming situation, right? This is this is like worst case scenario. Justin Herbert and Teddy Bridgewater, two guys that I think can uh, be really good for you. All right, looking at the running backs this week, Jonathan Taylor, the rookie in Indianapolis, has been fantastic. He'll be on a bye. Mark Ingram is injured and on a bye this week. Miles Gaskin is a rookie who's been a surprise this year. Many of you are probably starting him. He will be on a bye this week. And then whether it's Dalvin Cook who was hurt this last week. A lot of you probably had Alexander Madison going this last week. He underperformed. Those guys are going to be on a bye this week. Number one name I love is the Thursday night game this week. It is Boston Scott for the Philadelphia Eagles. Only owned in 13% of leagues right now. Miles Sanders is expected to miss about two weeks. Boston Scott has been in a committee in New in Philadelphia, excuse me, for the last two seasons. Been sharing times with guys like Corey Clement, Miles Sanders. It's going to be the Boston Scott show this week. It's going to be the Boston Scott show this week. Going up against a Giants team that Philadelphia should be in the lead for most of this game. As bad as Philly's been, they're still a better team than the New York Giants. So game script should play right into Boston Scott's hands. I think knowing that Sanders is going to be out for a little while, they're going to try to see if they can use him in a featured role this time around, similar to what they've been doing with Miles Sanders. He's all over the place right now. With Sanders going to be out for a couple weeks, Boston Scott has value this week and going forward. <laughs> the other guy I've got, I've got two other guys written down. One's Justin Jackson, who I'm maybe not as crazy about, but that's something to keep an eye on if Austin Eckler is going to miss time again. Justin Jackson showed uh, last week that, and coming off a of bye, I love a running back coming off a of bye, but he showed, we all thought it was going to be Joshua Kelly, the rookie, who was going to take all the extra work when Austin Eckler went down. It was Justin Jackson. It was Justin Jackson. He's a guy who's been there for a while. He was a guy who was taking uh, shares away from Austin Eckler up until this year. When Eckler went down, Justin Jackson quickly became the featured player in Los Angeles. So uh, an offense that is extremely confident, that can score a lot, taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. That's got to be tasty enough as is. I love game flow, uh, so I'm a big fan of Justin Jackson going into this week. And... Don't <laughs> don't take this as gospel, but if you want to take a real crazy dart throw, how about picking up LaMichael Pirine for the New York Jets? I know that sounds completely crazy, uh, but now that Le'Veon Bell is gone, the only other guy in that backfield other than LaMichael Pirine is Frank Gore. Now, he didn't really do much with that work last week, but... Once maybe this season changes for the New York Jets, let's say Adam Gase gets fired. If you're a new coach and you're the New York Jets and you're trying to do some evaluation here in the middle of the season, who are you going to trot out there? Are you going to trot out there the young rookie and maybe give him a golden opportunity to showcase his skills going forward this year? Or do you want to go with 37-year-old veteran Frank Gore? I think there's a real scenario where you could see LaMichael Pirine uh, back half of the season being one of these guys who's consistently getting 20 touches a week just because they have to figure out what they have in front of them. Now, high risk, high reward, obviously, but he's not very highly owned. But the guy I really love this week is Boston Scott if you're scouring your waiver wires. 
Wide receivers, uh, so you'll see. With the teams on by, we're going to be missing T.Y. Hilton this week. We'll be missing Marquise Hollywood-Brown in Baltimore. We will be missing, what, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, two guys that have been pretty good this year in fantasy for the Dolphins, and then Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson in Minnesota for the Vikings. So uh, the wide receiver group for fantasy football out there has been absolutely decimated so far. The guy you need to pick up, if you haven't done so already, I'll pretty much be willing to bet you he's no longer available in your league is the dude who's busted onto the scene for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the wide receiver factory that they are, Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool still out there in a few leagues. Uh, I think on ESPN this morning I saw he was rostered in 61% of the league. So check and see because not only is he just a good streaming option, that guy could be a top 30 wide receiver the rest of the way this season. After him, the only two wide receivers I'm crazy about this year. Uh, Mike Williams was drafted a lot and then dropped a lot because he underperformed for the first four weeks of the season. Week five, the dude exploded. And it was only a matter of time because the best thing that could have happened to Mike Williams, from a fantasy perspective, keep in mind, this is all fantasy football talk, was Justin Herbert becoming the quarterback over Tyrod Taylor. Because Justin Herbert loves to throw the ball downfield. Tyrod Taylor, not a big fan of throwing the ball downfield. Mike Williams is a stretch the field. Big guy. Just went for over 150 yards. He's only rostered in 44% of ESPN Fantasy Football League. So coming off of a bye week, uh, taking on a Jacksonville team that there could be a lot of opportunities against, I expect Mike Williams to bounce back and uh, continue to have a good season. And I'm going to do it again. I'm giving you another New York Jet. Brashad Perryman. Brashad Perryman has been out pretty much the whole entire year. But coming into the season, he was the reason that they decided to cut ways with that guy who, oh gosh, what was that fellow's name who had like the fractured back a year or two ago? Mm, He had one or two good years. I can't remember. I might be able to remember it eventually. They moved on from this receiver that they paid like $60 million coming into this season because of Brashad Perryman. Had four catches for 62 yards last week. Maybe not a game-breaking guy, but he's going to be reliable for you. Sam Darnold isn't the problem. While he's not good, he's not the problem in New York. I think that's more of a coaching and everything else around him. Having Brashad Perryman there is going to help out Sam Darnold. They're going to be going forward down a lot in games. If you play fantasy football, you know the best thing that can happen to your team is to have a player in a game that's lopsided. Because what that means is Sam Darnold is going to be throwing the ball a lot. And there's only two guys in New York who can catch the ball. Jamison Crowder and now Brashad Perryman. So if you're desperate for a wide receiver this week, uh, Brashad Perryman, only owned in 8% of leagues, could be kind of a dart throw for you there that could work out. Tight ends, the only big name that you're going to be without this year or this week is uh, really Mark Andrews. Some of you may have been rolling with um, no, excuse me, that's not in the right game. There's there's nobody really for the Colts that you want. There's nobody really for the Dolphins. I hope you aren't playing Kyle Rudolph or Irv Smith. So really the only tight end that you're going to be missing this week potentially would be Mark Andrews for the Ravens. One name and one name only. Anthony Ferkser. Anthony Ferkser plays for the Tennessee Titans. He is owned in 0% of leagues this morning. ESPN had him owned in 0% of leagues this morning. Why do you want to grab him now? Well, because he's filling in for Jonu Smith, who's been one of the best stories from the tight end position in fantasy this year. 221 yards, five touchdowns in the first four games. He's hurt. 
He's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Ferkser came in and had 113 yards on eight catches and a touchdown. The top-scoring fantasy tight end in all of fantasy sports this past weekend. Now he has zero competition. That's an offense in Tennessee that is absolutely clicking. He's out there. If you need a tight end, even if you don't need a tight end, probably a guy that's worth uh, stashing away for weeks to come because – Ryan Tannehill enjoys throwing to his tight end. Johnny Smith has been on fire. You even can go back to the years that Delaney Walker was the wide receiver and tight end. Mike Vrabel likes to use these guys. Ferkser is at least one of those guys who can maybe get you a touchdown this week. If it's a tight end and you can get a touchdown, you're going to be happy with that. Uh, the last thing, if you need a defense this week, I'm all over streaming the Eagles defense on Thursday night. Not because I think the Eagles are particularly strong on defense, even though they're not exactly terrible. Uh, the past two games have been dreadful. But if you look at the numbers, well, they played against the Ravens. That's not an easy matchup. The Ravens scored 30 on them. And then this past week, the Steelers put up 38. 38 on the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but coming into this week, Philadelphia is third in the league in sacks. They have 21 on the season. Daniel Jones loves getting sacked. Like, there's one thing that Daniel Jones loves more than getting sacked, and that's fumbling the ball. And now it's going to be a short week, short preparation. Not so much because I like the Eagles. It's because I think Daniel Jones is such a turnover factory. Like, he should get hired by Mrs. Smith's. Terrible, terrible joke. I'm all about the Philadelphia Eagles uh, streaming that defense this week. Thursday night game, it's always messy. That plays right into the hands of a defense. So there you go, some fantasy football uh, quick waiver ads if you need to get those in for your fantasy leagues tonight. As always, if you have fantasy questions, you know, I, I'll at least give you advice. You don't have to take it. You can just ask me, and I, and you can fade my advice because that – Probably will work fairly often too, but you can always get get up with me, Sam at two five two radio dot com, or the easiest way to do it is just hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on the Twitter, just at Sam Avalis. I'm very easy to find. All right, quick break. When we come back, I've got some quick quick comments from Dave Doran, NC State head coach Dave Doran, as we are eagerly awaiting the matchup between the Wolfpack and the Tar Heels coming up on ESPN television this Saturday at 12 o'clock. Should be a good one. Nationally televised games. A quick break. Back after this. All right, so coming up tomorrow on the show, Von Casey's going to be back in studio with me. I don't even know what we're going to talk about. We'll figure something out. There's plenty going on. (laughs) Uh, So that should be a lot of fun. We're going to talk a lot of NC State-UNC rivalry as the week goes on. And I've got a couple people I'm reaching out to to try to see if we can have some fun with that. But I always get it. I said it yesterday, I think, where – because as an NC State fan, you know I'm a State fan, I have always heard from Carolina fans the whole you're not our rival thing. And that's just simply not true. And there's, But there's a caveat. There's an asterisk there. And so here's a quick public service announcement. NC State is UNC's primary rivalry in football. Duke is UNC's primary rivalry in basketball. I think that is the line of demarcation that we can all agree upon. But there's just so much that goes into it all. And the biggest thing, first and foremost, was something that Dave Doran was asked about in his weekly press conference yesterday. He was asked about the culture difference between the two schools, and that has always been one of the more fascinating aspects of this rivalry between our two 
primary state institutions. No disrespect to anybody else, but it's the University of North Carolina and North Carolina State University, right? Those are the the two top dogs when it comes to just from popularity. I know here in Eastern North Carolina, UECU fans get all bent out of shape about that, but let's just be real for a second. But the difference has always been is that NC State sort of touts themselves as being this blue-collar school. Um, detractors from NC State like to call it Moo U, right? That's a funny one because you like to pick on NC State people for, you know, bringing up the farmers of our country. I <laughs> don't know why you would knock them for that. But the, on the flip side of that, UNC is often looked upon as like a liberal arts school, which, you know, there are plenty of jokes that can be made from that perspective. It's all nonsensical. It's all in good fun, usually. Some people get way more offended by this one way or the other. But Dave Dorn was asked about the culture difference between these two programs in his press conference yesterday. And I want you to take a listen to what he had to say. You know, I I don't know uh, exactly what their culture is, so I don't want to speak on something I don't understand. I, I mean, I know what our culture is, is blue collar. Uh, you know, I've said it many times. This, I came to NC State because I felt like I fit in. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of people that work hard, that like to have a good time together. Um, very intelligent people, but very hardworking people. And, you know, the blue collar, hands in your dirt program, and that's what we're all about here. And, you know, if you look at our fan base, uh, they support every sport. They don't just support football. And I love that about them. You can go to a wrestling match and it's sold out. You know, you can go to women's basketball and it's sold out. You come to football, it's sold out. You go to men's basketball, it's sold out. So they don't just support football. They support student athletes. And I think that makes our fans very special. And, uh, you know, that's what we're all about here. And, And, you know, I think their school probably has their definitions of what they're all about. So kind of, uh, I'm not going to say it was a say-nothing answer, but Dave Dorn kind of had an opportunity there where he could have sort of buried UNC, right? He was asked about the culture difference, and he just said, I don't know anything about theirs, but here is what we are. And that is that is something he said I've been saying. I've said it a lot. From day one, Dave Dorn has always said that. There's actually a plaque. If you walk inside the Wendell Murphy Center, which is like the big beautiful million dollar field house that nc state built i don't know a decade ago at this point there is a big plaque up on the wall when you walk in that has a quote that dave doran uh said when he was hired it said this is a hard nose hand in the dirt blue collar kind of school and that's the kind of football program we're going to have but i'm going to get some folks opinions on that as the week goes on because as many nc state fans just got fired up and like ready to run through a brick wall because of that there are also unc fans and other fans who are out there rolling their eyes at that exact same quote so if you have any thoughts on that uh again i do want to hear from you guys on twitter at sam avalis you can always email me at sam at 252radio.com or sam at 252espn.com. But that's going to do it, guys. Like I said, Von Casey going to join me in the studio tomorrow. We'll have some fun. Enjoy the baseball coming up on the radio a little bit later. Talk to you tomorrow right here on the Sam Avalis Show.